In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a piece about moving through breast cancer survivorship with the help of a hobby. That might sound a bit flippant, but you'll soon see how the vital act of anchoring yourself to a hobby and the legions of others who have hobbies before you can be an act of giving yourself permission to continue to exist after cancer, permission to take up space, even though you are changed. My guest today is Denise Archer. Denise is a maker and has been sewing since she was 15 years old. When she was 45, she was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer. Today, Denise lives with her husband, teenage son, and a hooting owl just outside her sewing room in Portland, Oregon. Denise is here to read a piece that she wrote for Wildfire Magazine's 2020 survivorship issue. This was an issue in which we explored what it means to put one foot in front of the other day after day after day, day after day after day after the hardest day, the day of a cancer diagnosis. For each person, how they do this is very personal and varied. I think it's important to hear survivorship stories because they help us in our own survivorship. It helps us to know that there is a desire to not merely survive, but live and how others are doing it. Welcome to The Burn, Denise. Hi, welcome, April. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for being here. So you are here to read a story that you wrote called The Uneven Thread of Synchronicity. And after you read, you and I are going to talk about hobbies and other things that can act as a lifeline to carry us through survivorship. For those of you listening, a brief note to warn you that today's episode contains salty, spicy language because we are talking about cancer. And if that's not your cup of tea or you have sensitive listeners nearby, you might want to save this one for another time. Otherwise, as always, stay tuned to the very end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. All right, Denise, I will let you read your story now. Punch the needle down into the fabric, pull, listen to the floss snake through the hole, a quiet hiss. Push the needle up with a thrifted metal thimble snug on the middle finger. For a brief second, that middle finger is the only one extended. Fuck you, cancer. And then pull. My hands breathe and my fingers dance around the cloth. My lungs maintain the tempo. Up and down. There is always danger. The needle pricks the skin, the pulse quickens, blood stains the artwork. Ah, oh, come on. Sometimes by accident, the needle slides underneath the nail, a small movement with minimal effort, and yet an icy chill travels up the arm, shoulders, and neck. Fuck, God damn it! all the hell. 
The opening of the cervix is roughly the width of a thimble before it yawns wide to release the baby within. That comes with a lot of screaming, too. Cancer can be the size of a thimble as well, or the eye of a needle. In my case, it was a golf ball, but I was too scared to scream. Many feel embroidery is a granny sport, and perhaps they're right. Carcasses of floss with the slight smell of mildew are bundled together in Ziploc bags at the thrift stores. Grandma had died, and her grandkids didn't know what to do with all her odd granny hobby crap, so it was thrown into the donation pile. Fine by me. I'll take it. This bloody hobby, on par with an animal bite. Pricks with old thrifted needles remind me that I need to keep up to date on my tetanus shot. While I breathe to the rhythm of the floss, I wonder whose supplies I hold. Who was this person before me? Did she toil on a farm, push out 11 children through her fleshy pink thimble of a hole, milk a cow at dawn, become a proud member of La Leche League? Grandma in her cotton floral button-down house dress. Grandma with big pendulous breasts after nursing all those babies. Perhaps neither of my own grandmothers picked up the hoop because they had never had breast cancer. None of my three big-bosomed Latina aunts either, or my petite H-cup mom, or my three blessed cousins. And I doubt any had ever thought about craft supplies of the dead. My Bolivian grandfather, however, could see spirits. They sent him messages. The ancient people saw all kinds of wonders and gave them names. I grew up with Pachamama, Mother Earth, a fertility goddess with countless children necklaced around her. But how can I be a woman, much less a mother, after being cored out like an apple, my thimble hole removed, my tree of life cut down, this hollow body of mine, tits amputated, chest stuffed with silicone, and then ripped out so my silhouette is a desert landscape? I'm an empty trash can, unfuckable. A body so tainted its blood and parts are rejected for donations. I'm not even adequate enough to become dog food. And yet my mind overflows. Thoughts take root. Will it come back? How? When? What's this pain? How long might I have? Will my only son be grown when I die? This is how I've been blessed. Breathe in, breathe out. I know some of the spirits who've died of breast cancer are within the floss I hold in my fist. My hands complete their unfinished projects, their lost hopes and ideas and discarded packs of needles. My eyes scan my latest design, the waves of stitches, an entire ocean contained in a hoop the size of a breast. I hear their words through the floss, the rhythmic tide in my head. Serenity, serenity, serenity. They whisper that I'm okay. They whisper that I'm not alone. None of us are alone. We are not alone. They guide and allow me to stitch my own story while I'm alive and will embrace me when I die. It's a hypnotic lullaby, this intersection of spirit and craft, this humble magnificence. Shh. Listen. The old stuff, the good stuff, the real stuff is there waiting. It just needs to be dusted off. Unearth its shabbiness. Breathe into it new life and awaken the spirits. Follow that uneven thread of synchronicity for another kind of blessing, one of peace, acceptance, and gratitude. Any creative venture will unleash it, really. Embroidery just happens to be mine. So to all you wounded mortals with broken, anxious minds, I whisper among the spirits, 
My breath pushes out these powerful yet gentle words, which is carried soft and sweet by thousands of women before me into your ear. Get a hobby. I love that, Denise. That was incredible. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I am so excited to chat with you more about this piece. First, we're going to take a quick break here and let you um, catch your breath. Let me um, hear from a fellow writer, a fellow part of our community, and we will be right back. Hi, my name is Kiara, and I was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer at the age of 27 in the year 2020. I attended a wildfire writing workshop recently, and it was a really incredible experience. I've been a wildfire subscriber for a while, and reading the magazine is always a really powerful experience, but I was also struggling with having those kind of daily cancer thoughts, and I really needed an outlet, you know? Whenever I would talk to other people about them, either they didn't understand or I felt like a burden dumping too much on those who could understand. Um, So I joined the writing workshop and immediately after joining, I knew it was one of the best decisions I made in my cancer experience. It gave me an outlet for those thoughts, a way to process them without feeling misunderstood or like a burden, and just a whole supportive group of women that I never would have met otherwise. I'm so grateful to April and to the whole Wildfire team for providing this amazing space for us. All right. Thank you so much for the love, Kiara. Denise. Hello, welcome. Let's chat about your story. Yes. So I want to dive right in. I love the way you ended your story. So we'll start there. Get a hobby, that gentle whisper. It reminds me so much of Cheryl Strayed when she was writing as Dear Sugar. And um, and she advised us all to write like Mother Effers. And I really (laughs) feel that it's like it's like, write like your life depends on it, right? Like, get a hobby like your life depends on it. So I want to, like, start there and and talk about that. So I know it's been a while since you wrote this story. Yes. And I, I do want to, I guess I want to acknowledge that, but also want to have you talk a little bit about the title. So the title was that uneven thread of synchronicity. So can you tell me more about what it was like when you wrote this piece, what that title means to you. And specifically, I'm going to plant some seeds for you really quick, but specifically I'm thinking about how there's kind of three things being sewn here in your story or, you know, embroidered. And there's that, um, your literal, the literal hoop in your hand that is being embroidered. There's your, um, sewing yourself kind of into this history, this tradition of other women who have picked up, you know, different sewing hobbies. But then there's this also this act of kind of sewing yourself whole again and sewing yourself into what it means to be a survivor. And and we hear you coming to terms with all of that. So I'll throw the ball over to you. What it, what is what does the title mean to you, and what are you feeling about it these days? <laughs> Well, thanks, April. And thank you for your interpretation. You know, I just kind of left it wide open. I I know what it means to me. Um, Just a a connection to my uh, history with my grandparents and uh, Bolivia, because I lived there as a kid. I went to first grade there. Um, And uh, just that magical realism that is very present. And the fact that when I even grew up in the United States, you know, uh, with my Bolivian mom, we had a spirit living in our house. It was a ghost. Um, and, And that was pretty uh, common. The, the ghost was always there with us. Um, uh, but yeah, so when 
I, I took up this hobby and I'm a big thrifter and I, I've always been a big thrifter. Like I don't like to shop at new uh, stores uh, just because I feel like there's just so much presence and um, honesty in used items and j- just the, the story. I always wonder about the story and going to these thrift stores and picking up a lot of just the embroidery floss that's already used in bags you know, that, that was a craft that was primarily done by women. Uh, you know, maybe now men are picking it up, but at the, at the time and the, the items that are at the thrift stores are from women who have died and a lot of them are older. And, um, they usually, if, if you're a crafter or a sewer or any kind of hobby, you end up collecting a lot of stuff in, <laughs> in your space. So, I mean, I have a closet full of fabric and I have it way too much embroidery floss and people just give it to me too. And I, I've got all these different things and maybe I'll never, I'll never be able to use all of it, but, uh, you know, right now it's, it's, it's my story and it's for me. (laughs) Um, and, um, so embroidering this heart. uh, So I was on the front cover and I had that, that embroidered heart. And I decided that I was going to embroider five hearts. And I think that was number three. And I, that took me a whole year to finish. Um, so I, and you know, it started at on 2020 in January of 2020. And it started on the night that my friend who was metastatic, she had the BRCA gene. She had had breast cancer when she was pregnant with twins, had to be chemoed while she was pregnant with twins, um, underwent that. And then when they tested her initially, um, she tested negative because it was very new. And so when her children were four years old, she had ovarian cancer that was stage four in her lungs and they retested her again. And they said, "Ah, oh, yeah, you are BRCA. And so it was very tragic because they could have just removed her ovaries when she had her twins. Uh, but she ended up living for 12 years. And uh, it, this was the night when uh, she was declining a little bit. We knew that she was on another level of defense meds, but she had to be chemoed for 10 hours straight. And so I was in the hospital with her overnight. And that's when I just, I drew the heart on just a a scrap piece of fabric that I had. And um, I just had grabbed some embroidery floss and I was like, okay, this is going to be my third heart and I'm going to start it now. And not knowing, not knowing what was going to happen. And um, it became this huge lifeline for me because with the pandemic and uh, the online schooling and the anxiety and depression that were happening with the teens, especially. Uh, and my son is, uh, you know, he was 16 years old at the time. And uh, it was a really, really rough year for the, the parents, the teachers and the students. And um, just the way that um, communication was so difficult. Um, and so there, there were times where I just would just sit sit on the couch and embroider. And uh, then of course, you know, I I have my breast cancer friends and, you know, things were still happening with some of them and our our other friend who had been infused for 10 hours during the night, you know, she ended up dying during the pandemic. And there there was just so much that was stitched into that heart because of it. And I remember one time when I was thinking about it, I was like stitching, I was like, man, you know, I really need to get a mindfulness practice going, you know, I really need, I really need to meditate, you know, just because that's just something that would really be helpful. And I was like, wait, what am I, 
this is my meditation, you know, this is exactly what, what I'm supposed to be doing, you know, so heck yeah, I'm going to keep embroidering because this is awesome. And you know, I make my own clothes and that's great too, but that, that's not that calming most of the time because you mess up and you have to seam rip and you're cussing a lot anyway. Uh, but, <laughs> and let me, let me just uh, talk really quickly about the cuss words. I, you know, I, I put that in there because it's a survivorship issue. And I think, you know, language is really important especially when you're uh, enduring and suffering. And, uh, you know, if, if somebody was just very honest and uh, just very forthright and like, just golly, this is just a bunch of doggy do, you know, I, I would love it. I mean, that person's weird. Let's just put it that way in a most deliciously wonderful way. That person is weird. And I would want to be that person's friend. But you know, the reality is that most of us were cussing at that time. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the cussing really was bad during chemo. It really was bad, you know, and through all my surgeries and I've had, I can't even remember how many I've had, I think of eight, nine, but, um, yeah. And, uh, I'm starting to wean myself off of that, but, uh, you know, it feels good. <laughs> no, I, I love it. I mean, and you're making me think about, you know, going back to your story when you described the needle slipping under the nail, you know, which gave me full body shiver as you were describing it. But I feel like there's this tendency to look at art and not see the the literal blood, sweat and tears that maybe, you know, was was infused into it through either the making or the life that was happening and swirling around it. And cancer's a little like that too. Like the outside world tends to look at a cancer story and only see the quote unquote silver linings, but there's a whole lot of needles going literally into bodies and things being ripped open. And, you know, there's full body shivers happening all the time and losses. And you're right. Like it's a, it's a hard thing to get through without, you know, dropping some F-bombs here and there for sure. And, and language does matter. It really does matter. So I'm glad you mentioned that. It, yeah. it, it feels really cathartic just to say, Absolutely. You know, fuck this shit. And exactly. this sucks. And, uh, and there, so yeah, there's a lot of cussing going on with my cancer group and just with my husband and even my son, you know? A hundred percent. My daughter's the same way. She has grown up in an environment of cussing because my cancer came when she was little. I mean, and, and life is just constantly happening, right? But I want to I want to bring back um, something you said um, that I loved so much. This wasn't in your story, but you just shared with us about, you know, embroidering beside the hospital bed of your friend, you know, in this project that kind of grew to um, include these five hearts. I love that you were translating pain into, OK, I'm going to make something and I don't know what it's going to be, but it's something that I can literally do right here. And I'm thinking about the title again of your piece and that thread of synchronicity and synchronicity being we we don't know how these things are connected. They they are seemingly connected, but we don't know what it is. And when I write, I am constantly thinking about how are these little scenes of my life coming together? And I think of it in terms of a golden thread going through. And so I am loving the synchronicity of writing and embroidery and survivorship with this golden thread coming through all of it. So I, I just, yeah, love everything you're saying, Denise. Uh -huh. But I want to um, ask you another question, and this one is about anger. And I hear a lot of anger coming through in your story, which again, obviously, cancer stories are anger stories. But we talk about 
kind of using writing as a tool to move through the wound phase to more of the scar phase, you know, and help stories progress in their healing because it allows us to step next to it and observe it, you know, as the narrator. And I'm wondering for you, this process of writing, this process of of sewing, how has that translated into helping you heal and helping you move your your wounded heart and your literally wounded body through to more of a scar phase. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, wow. I mean, it, it really helped me just when I was alone working on my projects just to reflect. And it did feel like I was stitching myself back together. Um, and it was nice, you know, just with the different chests that I've had the different sizes of breasts and no breasts and skin and whatever that I could make a top that fit so that I didn't feel like a freak um yes 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 know. I'm so glad you're bringing this up yeah. I want to ask you about that so I just will say to our listeners who maybe don't know um two things one so you can see Denise on the cover of the survivorship issue that we're talking about and you can see that she's holding the embroidered heart and that she is flat and so Denise I know that this has become something for you that you are altering and learning to alter clothing to fit your changed body so yes I'm throwing the mic back to you I just want to bring people up to speed about what you're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I just wanted, I wanted outfits that made me feel good and sexy and beautiful. And when you get an off the rack garment, and this is any garment, I mean, I don't have to, all I have to say is go to the store and buy jeans and like a bunch of people will groan and roll their eyes, you know, because it's a cookie cutter block is what they are. And most women don't know that. And I say women and men might feel this way too, but women have put a lot of shame onto their own bodies and uh, society does that very well for us. And then, you know, and um, so <sighs> being able to make your own jeans that fit your thighs and your butt and your hips and your waist and being able to make your own tops that fit your curves, your, your, your widened uh, midriff because, you know, you're on tamoxifen or, you know, you've gone through menopause um, and your, your chest that has changed sizes. It, the way a garment hangs on your frame definitely, um, looks different when the fit is nice and you you feel prouder. And you know what? The, the thing about making your own clothes too is that it feels like a hug. It feels like self-love. So any outfit that I make, you know, and I think, oh yeah, I'm wearing my own underwear that I've made, my pants, my top and my, yeah, my uh, cardigan. And it just, it, it just feels so different and uh, it feels so good. Uh, Yeah, I I would recommend anybody to take it up. (laughs) (laughs) It's fabulous. Well, yeah, I mean, just this idea of like picking um, hobbies, you know, to do. And I love that there's so much function in the hobbies that you have chosen. But it also just 
makes me think about how individual survivorship is, you know, and it's not a one path fits all. We don't end up, we never started with one body fits all, but we certainly don't end up with one body fits all and one story fits all. And and we are tempted to think there's one story or there's one right way to, to move through survivorship or there's one outcome, you know, that's, that's foretold, whether you think that you um, are destined for recurrence or not. Like we tend to have these stories playing in our minds and you're just reminding me how you can change the story. You can change the garment. You can change whatever it is and, um, and make it fit, fit you. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Am I taking the analogy too far? Yeah, you no, think? no. And I, you know, I think it's important. Breast cancer, especially with just women and breasts, it can tend to be very overly sexualized. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, if a breast cancer survivor wants to just pose with the, 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 the cleavage that she has and all that stuff, great, more power to her, you know, but, the, but that's just one piece of it. Uh, and, uh, we can find sexy in so many different ways. Um, oh, absolutely. And each person will find their own way, um, their own way through it. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Denise, for being here with me and chatting. Like I said to everyone um, a moment ago, you can literally see in this very interesting meta way everything we've been talking about because Denise was our cover star for the 2020 survivorship issue, literally holding the one of the hearts that she was creating. And then her story is within that piece. So you will find that there. Denise, if people want to find you online where can they look i'm on instagram uh at homunculus with little periods in between you'll just find me <laughs> even if you can't we'll link spell to it. you <laughs> we'll link to you as well yeah all right well thank you so much denise and thank you everyone for listening i'm april stearns and you've been listening to the burn the burns a production of wildfire magazine where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's chat with Denise. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our more than 30 issues in the Wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. And don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. So here's today's writing prompt. I want you to spend some time thinking about your hobby or a hobby you would like to have. It anchors you. As kids, we have tons of things that we love to do that are playful, creative, but then we grow up and a very adult problem is not even knowing what your hobbies are anymore. We just are working and going through the motions of surviving rather than living. So a hobby can help you lighten up your brain, give you more creativity, and also become a lifeline. So let's find yours. The prompt is simple, yet can yield mind-opening results. I want you to write on your page, in the new year, I want more of. In the new year, I want more. Write for eight minutes without stopping. See what needs to come out, where it will take you. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.